This is the weekly for Friday, October 11th. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. The American Communities Project is part of George Washington University, a new study of more than 2,200 rural communities across the United States. The research focusing on demographics, infrastructure, economic challenges, and lifestyle opportunities in small-town America. Just ahead, our conversation with the co-authors of their report, a look at rural America in 2019. Ari Pincus, Dante Chinney, it's called the American Communities Project, part of George Washington University. Give us the premise behind this study, and what surprised you the most? Uh, well, uh, thanks for having us here. Uh, it, we came up with the idea for the study, or really we were kind of urged to come up with the idea for the study from Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. They were doing some reporting on rural America. They're kind of digging into rural America. And they wanted to work with us because we have this way of breaking down the country using a county-wide typology. So all the counties in the country into 15 different types of place. So we use that to analyze what's happening in the country. Robert Wood Johnson said, you know, you could take this typology you have. Could you use it to understand rural America better? We said, yeah, we think we can do that. So Ari and I spent a lot of time figuring out how to do that because defining rural America is a difficult thing. Uh, there are a lot of definitions for rural America. We've talked to a lot of experts in the government and other places asking how should we, do, how should we define this. And we ended up settling on this idea of using the um, typology we have combined with the definition that's used by the uh, HRSA, uh, which delivers grants to rural America for health, we combined those two things, and we ended up with this definition. It's 2,200 counties, 2,243 counties around the country, nine different types as we look at the country, everything from aging farmlands to Hispanic centers to the African-American South and uh, working-class country kind of Appalachian communities. Nine different types of community, and we have data to look at what's happening at the country with the, at this level with these different types. And then we visited, actually, six different communities around the country and did kind of deep dives into what are the differences in rural America. The point of the report was to blow up this myth that rural America is a simple, easy-to-understand kind of monolithic thing. I think most people think of rural America as old white people and tractors. And we really wanted to get past that idea and kind of show the diversity that exists in rural America, not only you know um, racial and ethnic diversity, but also economic diversity. Just kind of take this thing that we all talk about all the time, rural America, and give it some context. That was the goal of the report, and, and, I, and I hope we pulled it off. So if it's not that general impression of being older, white, poorer, what is it? And I, and I realize that it's not the same in every community. You went to more than 2,000 or studied more than 2,000 communities. Uh, well, um, it is very diverse. Uh, we've got a lot of retail trade in, in different places. We're in Finney County, and it's kind of a regional economic hub, um, and, and you see... And then you see Mexican restaurants, and you see uh, Vietnamese restaurants. Um, it's a refugee haven, and people have been coming to uh, Finney County for over 100 years. Um, and they really do work together and kind of care about each other's welfare. Um, there's a huge um, meatpacking plant um, where a lot of um, immigrants work. And uh, they just had a fire recently, and they... Um, yeah, the, the meatpacking plan has promised to pay everyone's salaries, and so they're all really kind of coming together. Um, and then, you know, you see a place uh, in the, around the Mississippi Delta where, um, you know, they've been struggling through racial um, tension uh, for, you know, century, more than a century, and they're uh, coming together. Um, a new mayor there has just uh, 
put forward a unity initiative, and he's convening folks from the real estate industry to pastors, because um, the, the link is, is clear that um, you know religion is really important. Um, and so you do see this sense of diversity uh, in rural America, as we noted as we went around the country. So let me pick up on that point, because mm-hmm. as you summarize, some of the bullet points include the following. The economic challenges vary greatly. So mm-hmm. what are the challenges? And more importantly, from your research, what are the solutions? Uh, solutions are hard, always. And the solutions vary as the economies vary from place to place. The challenges in some places are depopulation. Uh, some of the places we look at, uh, we note in the report, 80% of the counties that we call the African-American South have seen a decline in population. Many of the counties that we call aging farmlands, the type of community you look at, are declining. And those declines, even though they may not be as steep in terms of raw numbers, those are very small communities. So you're talking about a place where you lose 100 people, a couple hundred people. It can dramatically affect the place you live. So some of these places, it's really depopulation. Some of these places are still dealing with kind of the struggles of manufacturing and small manufacturing, decline in small manufacturing. Um, even in agriculture, the rise of industrialization of agriculture has led to the growth of larger farms and the, the shrinking of smaller farms. Um, I think the thing that's most challenging in a lot of these communities is a rural economy, if you think about it. A lot of these places are fairly remote. And when you have a fairly remote community, the question is, how do you pump money into it, right? So if you're agricultural, the way you do it is you grow wheat, or you grow corn, or you grow whatever you grow, and you sell it. And then when you sell that, that money goes into the community. It gets spent at stores, it gets, and it kind of works its way around the community. It becomes you know, part of what keeps the community going. If you don't have that agricultural bump, and a lot of these places, again, the farms are much bigger now, so there's less of that to go around. It's fewer people hold, the, hold those resources. Or you don't have the manufacturing economy. that would You build something, sell it, bring the money back. It's hard to get money into some of these places. So I think uh, if, if, there, if I could, again, the, com- the differences by community, the challenges by community are very different. But if I could say if there's one uniting theme in these places, it's h- how do you get kind of money that tends to be uh, clustered in urban areas or bigger places into, into some of these smaller, more, ro- uh, more remote communities? It's, it's a challenge. Do the leaders understand that challenge, these community leaders who realize what's ahead of them? I think, I think they do. I, I did find that people were very candid and clear-eyed in, um, in what they're facing. Some of them feel that they don't have the resources that they need. Um, it certainly came up in Fulton County that you know, their Chamber of Commerce is run by volunteers, and they feel that they could get a lot more uh, done if they had a full-time staff. Um, but at the same time, they're using Facebook to get out the word, and they're bringing in food trucks once a month. Um, so they're really trying um, in you know, big and small ways that they can to, to kind of bring um, industry to um, their community. The big cities here in Washington, D.C., <coughs> New York, mm-hmm. Chicago, Houston, they have growth, and that creates more growth. Mm-hmm. But how do you spark that in these smaller towns? And how do you avoid the so-called brain drain where those who are growing up in these communities want to move into an area that's m- much more robust? It's a real challenge, and I was just actually talking to somebody who says they hate the word, they hate the phrase brain drain. But it is, when you look at the data, <clears throat> the data says exactly what you're saying. I mean, I've, I've done stories, and we, for this report we saw when we went to some of these communities. That, look, if, if you're in a small rural high school, and you're like one of the best and the brightest in the community, and you've got, you're going to go off to college, you get that bachelor's degree, 
what are you going to do with it back home? That's still a real challenge, right? So how do you get the people who go off to college to come back? The thing that we found in the data that was the strongest tie toward, I guess, a strong economy is a better education. Even these places we went, these aging farmlands, had some of the highest education numbers. Now, we looked at not bachelors or more. We looked at just education beyond high school. So anybody with more than a high school diploma, where those numbers were highest, those places also had the lowest unemployment rates. So there is some sign that even with the struggles for like a commercial economy in these places, I think educating the populace you have and trying to keep them there, I think when you, when you have a more educated population, I think you are, have a better chance of releasing some kind of entrepreneurial you know, possibility in the community. But it's, look, it's not easy. I mean, I th- and I think, again, as Ari was saying, the, you go to these communities, they are not, they're not living in, this is not a Pollyanna-ish view they have of reality. They understand what they're dealing with. And they understand it's, it's a real challenge. It's not easy. Let me remind our listeners that we're talking to Dante Cheney and Ari Pincus, part of a project, the American Communities Project at George Washington University. And part of the brain drain, I don't know any other way to say it, right. but part of that also is where are these folks living? So infrastructure, both real and digital. What did you learn on that front? Well, um, Arkansas in particular came up as a place where people are really struggling um, to gain access to you know, high-speed Internet. Um, you know, it, it's, it ranks number 49th in the country in terms of internet subscriptions, uh, high-speed internet subscriptions, and um, they have embarked on a like a five-year project to bring uh, broadband to five counties, rural counties um, in Arkansas, including Fulton County. It is a $130 million project, and, um, and uh, the FCC has given them about $23 million. They still have to raise $100 million. Um, and they have uh, a, a CEO of an electric cooperative who is um, just probably uh, one of the most dynamic people <laughs> that you'll ever talk to or meet and just has, knows he has his work cut out for him. But uh, there's about 125 people that he's working with, and um, they've, they've committed to this. Um, and so that, so that was one of the issues that we saw in, in terms of infrastructure. But then you know, water's an issue there, too, you know, bringing water to remote areas. Um, it's very hilly there, and so they kind of run into these water main issues. And then um, the, uh, the highway, um, highway system is, is still kind of this two-lane highway, and it's, it's treacherous, and companies don't want to come because they have to kind of go up and around into Missouri. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely an issue um, all over, but in particular Arkansas. Another part of the study, housing and where these individuals live. And you have a chart that basically indicates that the housing stock in these communities is quite old. Yeah, it is. It's quite old. And, and I think it's really interesting because we talk about depopulation, right? So there are fewer people living in these places. And then you still talk about one of the challenges they face is needing new housing. But they do. Uh, because, you know, if you're going to attract people, if you're going to attract businesses, if you're going to get people to come to your community, you have to have places for people to live. Uh, and look... Investing in like a housing development is is a very difficult thing to do in a place where the population is shrinking. How do you get that? How do you get the money to do that? We saw some kind of innovative approaches with this in uh, Gold County, Kansas, where they were trying to take old housing and kind of uh, old buildings and kind of turn around and just build like literally like a couple of houses to have some new housing stock. But it is it, without a question a real challenge in rural America is look <coughs> modern life involves uh, today involves having 
things like high-speed internet. It involves kind of a, you, you want a wired lifestyle, right? You want that, that kind of connectivity. And that includes having a modern home that is a, a, has the right wiring and is ready to kind of live in a modern age. They, they don't have this stuff in, in a lot of these rural communities. Now, again, we talked about very different kinds of rural communities. There are some communities, like we say, rural middle America, a little better wired, a little better uh, kind of connected to things. And then there are some communities, again, aging farmlands, Native American uh, lands that we look at. Uh, very low levels of connectivity and real housing problems. I mean, we definitely saw in Todd, in Todd County, uh, South Dakota, which is a Native American uh, community, real uh, challenges with um, getting housing to, to, to just that's up to code and up to standard for people to live in. Eric Pincus, when you traveled to some of these communities, what were your impressions? What was your overall takeaway, either from what you saw or what you heard? Uh, well, I would say that there is there is a great uh, spirit in all of these places and a, a sense of attachment to place and the people that um, they live among, and they really do care for one another. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a there's a sense of kind of wanting to restore often places that, um, you know, have fallen on hard times like Fulton County, Arkansas, or, um, you know, Todd County. Um, they're, they're really trying to reassert their Lakota culture in terms of art and language. And um, there's definite, um, you know, I would say there's a, like a, a dynamism around that, you know, that you really feel that people come alive when they're talking about where they're from and, you know, their connection to the land and the people. So they want to go back to what they had, but, but they also they want, want to plan for the future. Yes, it is a little bit of a juxtaposition in that regard. Yeah, it's, a, it's interesting because um, some of them feel that they did have, have it better, you know, years ago. Um, but at the same time, they do want those modern conveniences of broadband internet and you know, housing that is affordable and available. Um, and, and, you know, repurposing becomes uh, important, too. And we saw that in rural middle America in um, Morton County, North Dakota, right outside of Bismarck. Uh, they took uh, an old high school and they turned it into affordable housing units. And six of them are reserved for homeless people because they don't have a shelter. I was just going to say really quickly about just, like, the modern, the modern life you have. If you think about it, in some ways, if you live in rural America... With online shopping, you can live a life you never could have lived in rural America. Talk about like what they had versus what they want. Like they can buy things they never could buy before. They some we talked in some in some communities. People like everybody went to the same mall. So when you went to school, everybody had the same clothes because there was only really one place anybody did any shopping. That's all changed now. But at the same time, as that's happened, these downtowns are really struggling because the corner clothing store isn't there anymore. Even the Walmart in some of these places is probably struggling a little bit. And it's real, it, it is like this juxtaposition between what they had and wanting that back, but still liking what they have today and, and kind of embracing the modernity of it. It's, it's a real, it's a mix. So how do they fix the blight that you're talking about? It's a challenge. I mean, look, it's, the one thing that's really clear when you go to any rural community in the country, there's this pattern especially if they're, if they're anywhere near a highway, where there's this area near the highway and there's a Walmart and there's a couple of fast food places and then you go down the road to where the old city used to be and there's a downtown and a main street that's really struggling. And the, the store is empty and uh, just a lot of storefronts. I mean, how many times do we see this? I mean, storefronts that just don't have a lot of... Th- there's not a lot of commercial activity in what used to be the downtown area. And where is it? It's clustered by the road or by the highway or at the Walmart. 
And uh, look, those are still jobs, but that money doesn't stay in the community either, right? It goes off to it goes off to you know the the money that's raised there goes off to Benton, Arkansas, and you know not to pick on Walmart. There are all sorts of stores out there that do this, but it is it's a real challenge. How do you go about dealing with it? I I, I don't know, and I think they're trying to figure that out too. It's like it's yeah. it's a real struggle for rural America. I definitely felt there was a work in progress um, concept going on everywhere, where people were. Um, really almost thinking out loud of things that they could possibly do or things that they needed and um, people or organizations that they could partner with. I mean, education came up over and over again as a, as a big um, piece. And I remember somebody saying that we really just need to do a better job of educating people about what's available out, out of our community, out of like the hospital and the school system so people don't think, oh, those are the only careers that are available to me. For those interested in this report, where is it available? It is available at our website, AmericanCommunities.org slash rural report. We are now in the midst of the 2020 campaign, and one of the dominant issues among voters and in every poll is health care. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn with regard to health care? Again, dealing with the issue of how do you maintain good doctors, efficient hospitals, and providing the quality of life in rural America that you often get in major cities where they have top line facilities. Yeah, so this is this is a this came up a lot of places we went. Uh, the first thing we saw, just looking at the data, is there are real disparities between who has and who doesn't have health insurance. Like uh, it was kind of surprising to me actually. The, the in working class country, again, these are somewhat Appalachian uh, communities uh, as a whole. Uh, they tended to have very low uninsured rates, only about only 9% uninsured, whereas Hispanic centers, it was much higher. It was 18% uninsured. But the bigger data point that I think everybody's focused on is what do you do about rural hospitals? What do you do about care? And, you know, the, the rural hospitals have been closing. As we note in the report, we go into detail a little bit about where the closures have happened and who's struggling with them. But we saw some fascinating exceptions to the rule as well. We saw this absolutely fascinating s- situation in Gove County, Kansas, uh, where... It's a town of maybe 1,200 people, and they have five primary care physicians and a medical center. And they developed this really fascinating way of dealing with this where they, the, the local medical center had created a connection to Kansas, University of Kansas, and they would get doctors who were first-year and second-year interns to come out and just work there, get a sense of what the community is like, see what it's like to live in rural Kansas. And remember, these people are a little older. They're not just like, you don't have a bachelor's degree. You've got your medical degree. A little older ready to start a family, and they have two couples now, two newly married couples move out there and so have to, to add two more sets of doctors. So five primary care physicians in that community. That's absolutely fascinating. Now, most communities, I'm going to say, are not having that kind of luck, but uh, there are some options out there. There are some approaches that seem to be working, but on the whole, it's a real struggle to keep these, some of these hospitals open and certainly getting rural doctors. Uh, some people are driving hours to get to an OBGYN primary care physician. And as you indicated, this is not a monolith group when you talk about rural America. But before I read this report, my impression was is that uh, these are communities that, for lack of a better word, are dying, that our people are fleeing these rural America uh, locations. But your report says that is not necessarily the case. It, it, um, just to pick up on what Dante was saying about Gove County, I mean, one of the things that the doctors there said to us was that people uh, love to do their rotations in Gove County because 
this is why they wanted to go into medicine. They have the opportunity to just have that personal connection with people and if someone breaks a leg and they're there, there's, they deliver babies. I mean, there's so many different uh, scenarios that they are able to contend with and yet they have that personal connection with people. So I think people do have, um, they do feel that you know, rural affords them uh, advantages and opportunities that they don't have other places. But to, but to the point on the population numbers, there are some communities that really are still gaining. Uh, so it's interesting, we noticed that in the report that these communities we call graying America, 50% of those communities are still adding population. They have not shrunk. Now look, uh, the U.S. has grown dramatically since 2010. It's grown by uh, 6, six to 7% overall. And some of these places you're talking about very small increases, but they're still increases, right? So the, the numbers look very different in graying America than they do in the African-American South. When, when again, you've got the, those communities, 80% of those counties have seen population loss between 2010 and 2018. So the numbers, I mean, this, again, the, one of the, I think, the hearts of the report is that it really depends. Is rural America losing population? Overall, yes. But it depends on the place you're looking at. It depends on the kind of place you're looking at. And uh, it, it can really vary from community to community. And for those sitting in traffic listening to this uh, in Washington, Los Angeles, New York, or Chicago, there is a quality of life in rural America that you can't find in big cities. Uh, I think a lot of people would say that. So it's a real mix, right? It is like uh, you're... The interesting thing on commutes, it's funny. When you look at some of these rural communities, you think like you're in the middle of nowhere. Your commute to work is probably shorter, actually, even if you live a little further away. I mean... You know, in Washington, D.C., you can live five miles from something that can take you a good half hour, 40 minutes to get there. Uh, so that quality of life element is definitely there. Some of the things that are different about quality of life, uh, you know, you're not going to probably have as many um, ethnic restaurants to eat at. You're probably not going to have, you know, major sports or if that's something that works for you. But, like, for the people who want quiet and who want a more laid-back lifestyle, that's what we heard from people. My other impression was that rural America had a much higher unemployment rate. Again, a misnomer based on your study. Yes, that's true, um, that um, unemployment is lower, and the link between um, education and unemployment is very clear, um, that if you have a higher educational attainment, you have a lower unemployment rate, which really just speaks to the fact that if communities invest in education, it will pay dividends for them and for their communities and beyond. And in terms of paying dividends, does that mean higher wages? I mean, is there an income inequality between rural America and urban America? So You're both shaking your head. I mean, to some extent, yes. I would definitely say, uh, look, there are there are, there are costs to living in urban America too that don't exist in rural America. Uh, the housing is more expensive here. The food can sometimes be more expensive in rural America. It depends. But you know, is there is there a wage differential? Yes, I think that. Well, I mean, the data will show that. When we look at median household income in these communities, and again, there is a lot of variance there. I think on the upper end, the these Mormon communities, like these LDS enclaves out in Utah, you're talking about places where median household income is about fifty five thousand. You go to the African American South, it's 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 under forty. It's thirty eight. It's about thirty eight seven. I think. So that's you know that's a big discrepancy that's a, between those two places. And again, that's like. There are some parts of rural America, in general, you're not going to make as much money in rural America as uh, income as you're going to make in an urban area. But it really depends on the place you're at. It really does. It's like there's a lot of variance out there from place to place. And what I'm hearing is that the change, the growth, the transition, the improvements really coming from within. These are homegrown leaders making these changes, 
not coming from state governments or Washington. Yes, definitely. That was what what uh, what we picked up from um, all of the places that we were in is that they really are working together, um, texting each other, even meeting at the coffee shop. The uh, economic development and officer in Go was telling us that's where she does a lot of work. Um, so yes, it does feel that that's uh, that's primarily what, where it's happening. Is there an example, or are there examples of? individuals or communities that really stand out that this place needs to be a model for the rest of uh, rural America? Uh, so that's a really interesting question. So it, it, I would say the places we went, so the six places we visited, they, I will say like one of the most hopeful things that came out of it was the leaders in these places, which were the, the large, I should say largely homegrown because some moved. So for instance, we went to Forest City, Arkansas, which is in St. Francis County. Uh, the mayor there, Cedric Williams, he's there now. He's of the community, and he really does seem like he and the uh, superintendent of local schools system and the president of local community college have really formed a group that's focused on making the community better. They really work together. Uh, but, you know, he is not from there originally. He uh, he moved into town, uh, but he's there and, and raising that community up. At the same time, we went, when you talk about Todd County, South Dakota, uh, Native American community, uh, they're really, their approach is quite innovative and trying to focus on self-sufficiency and making a go of it rising from within the community. They're different. They're, what I say, there's, is there any specific model? No, because, because the communities are so different. You need a different model in a place like Forest City where you're close to the interstate and like you, you've got a little bit of manufacturing than you do in Gove County where it's all agriculture or it's heavily agricultural. But, you know, I would say in each one of these places we went, uh, and this is, and as a journalist, I can sometimes see the downsides of, I can, I can see the downsides of communities. Uh, I was, I was, I came away from each one of the places we visited feeling like there was something good going on with local leadership in them, and they really did seem to, um, uh, they understood the task before them, and they seemed committed to, do some, to doing something about it. I was impressed. You looked at the numbers, talked to the leaders, but in terms of politics in the 2016 campaign in rural America, Donald Trump did significantly better over Hillary Clinton, generally speaking. Can you apply that to 2020? Any thoughts based on your research on where you think this debate is heading? As I see you both smile. Ari Pincus. Uh, it's, so, it's so hard um, to say. I mean, I feel like a year is an eternity now in politics, so it's, um, it's un. It's unchartered territory that we're in right now, um, but I do think that you know there is this spirit of innovation um, that I think will probably be really important when people are deciding who they're going to choose for their next president. I mean, they, they I think they want somebody that's going to help them in some way, you know, achieve that that hope for them for their community. You know, somebody that kind of like isn't making it more difficult, but is making that way easier for them because they already have enough problems, whether it's, you know, you know internal tensions or just um, dealing with the remoteness of where they are. We did, we did see some really interesting stuff with, you know, obviously, the trade wars. Uh, we all talk about it a lot in Washington, but we don't feel it maybe as much as they do in some of these places. We saw the impacts of it. We were in the agricultural community in, in Gove and in Quinter, Kansas, in Gove County, Kansas. And then we also saw it in Forest City, Arkansas. So it, it's, it's remarkable when you get outside the Beltway and you talk about 2020. <clears throat> These issues are, they're interesting topics of discussion in Washington, D.C., but they're really affecting people's lives. Like there's a plant in Forest City that they, they, a Chinese company was going to come in and reopen 
and then turn into a, a thread spooling company, essentially. Work with all the cotton there, create thread and create uh, material that they would use to, you know, to, uh, to stitch together clothing and, and whatever, you would, uh, whatever you would do with, uh, with apparel. Uh, that's going to hire a lot of people. That was going to be probably the biggest, one of the biggest employers in the community. And it has all stopped because of the trade war. They had started reworking the plant when the trade war began. Literally, people left the community and went home. And then in Gove County, we saw people talk about how the tariffs there on agricultural, agricultural tariffs are really hitting this community hard. And the weird thing is nobody will talk about it to you directly. Um, they don't want to talk about politics. The other thing is people do not want to talk politics when you go out there. They certainly don't want to talk 2020 with you. But, and they don't want to talk about Donald Trump or Washington, D.C. But when you talk about the issues around it, they will say, like, oh, yeah, the tariffs, they're having an effect here. And they're talking about how when we went, which was spring, people were talking about how, you know, another six to eight months of this, and we're going to start having farm closures here. This is real. This is real for us. We're really feeling this. What will that mean in 2020? I don't know. People vote on more than just their economic circumstance. They vote on their personal belief. They vote on culture. So there's a lot going on. But, like, you can see the issues in these places surfacing. In, in the, uh, I hate saying the real world outside of Washington, D.C., but it's a different world outside of Washington, D.C. You can see it surfacing in these places, and it's, it's, um, it's fascinating t- to behold. Let me conclude with this question for both of you. Was there, for lack of a better phrase, an aha moment in this research, and why do you think this is important for our listeners to read the report? Well, uh, let me start with this. Uh, I'll let Ari answer the aha moment. But for me, the most important thing, I think, to read the report is that I, I think we spend a lot of time talking about rural America, as we've done here today. And I think we misunderstand it and we misrepresent it. And if we're going to talk about how we're going to, quote, unquote, fix rural America, how we're going to make everything better in rural America, you have to understand what it actually looks and feels like. And I think reading this report gives you a sense of just the scope and kind of just how big the landscape is and how complicated the landscape is. I think that we forget that a lot, particularly people who live in Washington who, and, and other big cities around the country who don't experience life in rural America. You get the last word. That <laughs> moment, what was it? Uh, I mean, I think it, w- it was many moments, but it was really seeing um, young people kind of in leadership positions and making a difference in their communities, uh, you know, in housing and you know, being mayors in, in their 30s and early 40s. I mean, you really feel like you're seeing the next generation of leaders um, taking the reins and working with other young leaders to make their communities better. If folks want to follow your work on social media, how can they do so? Uh, We are on Twitter, uh, AmComPro, that's A-M-C-O-M-M-P-R-O. Ari Pincus, Dante Chinney, thank you very much for stopping by the C-SPAN studios. We enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. And a reminder, this podcast is available on the free C-SPAN radio app or wherever you download your favorite podcast. We thank you for listening.